Luke chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 13 to 21. Uh, as we are continuing in this sermon series, in through, studying through the Gospel of Luke, uh, this sermon series called Rediscover Jesus. And that's what we want to do. Uh, for some of us, it may be for the first time, discovering who he is, what he did, and what it has to do with our lives today. And for the rest of us, all the more, to learn from Jesus again and again, from the riches of his word, how we can live faithfully for him. We looked at a difficult teaching last week on hypocrisy, and we will continue in the challenging teachings of Jesus Christ as we are in this section of the book of Luke that, where Jesus is teaching straight at sinners' hearts. And so today's topic is not as easy uh, as well. So follow along with me as I read from Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produces, produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of God. Amen. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if you, have anyone ever thought about winning the lottery? And winning and coming across just a large sum of money suddenly and miraculously. In the U.S., people buy lottery tickets for a few dollars and hope that they have the winning numbers. The winning amounts could be anywhere from hundreds of thousands of dollars to hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, I don't think we have that in Indonesia, but you know, there's a lot of lucky draws where you can you know, exchange a coupon for like a car or something like that. But either way, just imagine if you suddenly won and received money and new possessions that just came upon you. What would you do with it? I think we are sensible and thoughtful enough to say that we would give some to our families, perhaps through investments that would cover for our parents' future retirement, or maybe buy a house for our families, or prepare for our children's education, put aside from charity, put aside some for the church, put aside some for close friends. And that's what many lottery winners do. And it all sounds like a great plan. But the problem is how people decide to spend for themselves and how the money quickly goes to satisfy evil desires that are deep within their hearts. In this way, we know that money and possessions are a blessing from God, but it also can be a curse in the sinful hands of sinful people. How will we know that if we are in this situation, how will we know that we would spend our abundance for God's for good, for God's glory, and not be influenced by any evil desires. We'll learn from today's text that it's only by knowing what our true treasure is. 
how we approach abundance, how we approach money and possessions, show us, do we live for greed or do we live for God? And so as we learn from Jesus' words, we want to see and uproot any greed, that any evil desires that may lay in our hearts so that we may, we may live for the glory and for the good that he has called us to live for. So the one thing for us today is this. Guard your heart against all greed and let God be your greatest treasure. Guard your heart against all greed and let God be your greatest treasure. We'll look at four lessons in Jesus' teaching that addresses our hearts. First, our demands reveal our desires. And then second, we'll see our desires are tainted by our greed. Third, our greed makes us live as if there is no God. And then fourth, God will require us to give final account for his provisions. So, uh, <clears throat> before we continue in the preaching of the word, could you bow your heads with me one more time? Heavenly Father, we come before you and we have just sung and remembered of the generosity of the riches that you have showered upon us. Yes, spiritually in our hearts, for you have given us salvation. But also, the material things that you have given to us are a blessing as well that you have given us to use for your glory and for good. But, Lord, as we look, look to these lessons about addressing the greed in our hearts and these evil desires, Lord, I pray that our hearts will be soft to accept and receive your word. And teach us, Lord, that we may guard ourselves against greed and allow and let you be our greatest treasure. So many things of this world distract us and pull us away from you, our greatest treasure. So Lord, uh, awaken our hearts again. Open our minds so that we may seek you and you alone as our greatest treasure of our hearts. So be with us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, first, our demands reveal our desires. We'll see this as we follow along in what is happening um, in these verses. So if you look at verse uh, 13 and 14, we see that Jesus has been teaching his disciples and the crowds around them the really important matters of the heart. He's talking about matters of life and death, literally, about eternal life. It's a serious situation when suddenly there's someone in the crowd that interrupts Jesus with his own personal agenda. Jesus teaching on matters of life and death, and who knows if this person was even listening. And we've all been in a similar situation, probably, on the receiving end of a sermon. I know that was the case for me, where the preacher is teaching the life-changing truths about God from his word, and all I'm thinking about is, well, who won the game last night? Or, where should we eat after, after this? Where should we eat for lunch? Or more seriously, we might be uh, so consumed by our problems. And we're thinking, no matter what is being said, we're just thinking about, well, what should I do about this family problem that I cannot solve? What should I do about this financial situation that I just cannot get out of? Our own thoughts and struggles can crowd our minds to the point where nothing else enters into our ears even if it was Jesus himself talking and teaching directly in front of us. So for this someone calling out to Jesus from the crowd, all he could think about was this. In verse 13, he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
So let's try to picture what's going on here. This has, what's been, this has been on his mind. This inheritance from their father. That's all that he was consumed by. So regardless of what Jesus is talking about, he's going to try to get his way with Jesus. Apparently, this man is probably standing before Jesus with his brother there. We don't know how he got his brother to come out, but he calls out to Jesus saying, Teacher, but his request is not to be taught by Jesus because he doesn't say, I'm, I'm sorry, teacher. I know you've been, you've been teaching a lot and I'm trying to understand everything you've been saying, but I have this dispute with my brother. Can you teach me how to apply what you've been teaching us? Show me how to apply this into my dispute, a re- very real problem that I have with my brother. Instead, he comes to Jesus, same teacher, but he comes with a demand. He tells Jesus to tell his brother to share the inheritance with him. On top of that, it seems as if he has trapped his brother in his demands. Maybe it was as part of his plan to embarrass his brother in front of an entire crowd of thousands of people. Now everyone thinks his brother is evil for not sharing. And maybe if Jesus didn't help him, then at least public shame could maybe force his brother to submit to his demand. But the real shame is in the heart of this man, in the heart of his demand. Their father most likely passed away just a few days ago. And so the family ought to be grieving the loss of their loved one. But this one son was caught up with his share of the inheritance. And sadly, many of us know, heard about, or have personally experienced how money can divide families. How money can ruin families and tear them apart, literally. Money easily gets in between siblings. Easily gets in between parents and children. Easily gets in between marriages. And it's a true shame when it does because it, it causes great pain and heartache. For this man, as we look to his demand, we begin to sense what his deepest desire is. What he is willing to do to get what he desires. He's even bold enough, perhaps arrogant enough, to try to get Jesus on his side for some extra religious advantage against his own brother so that he can get his share. But when we look at the man, we see that there's actually a force inside all of us that would make, that would make us to demand others to serve us, to serve our desires. Not only would we are tempted to manipulate people and use them for our own good, our own pleasure, but we would even come before God and demand God to do what we desire. We may package and wrap our demands in a nice prayer, but when we are honest with ourselves, the problem of our hearts is that we desire my will to be done, my kingdom come, my name to be honored. And such deep desires must be confronted with serious correction because we cannot stand before God. We cannot be accepted into his kingdom if we cannot let go of our own little kingdoms. So Jesus begins to confront this man's wayward desires. He responds simply in verse 14. Man, maybe, I don't know if there was some attitude behind that. Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? It's a rhetorical question. And the obvious answer is no one. 
Jesus is the ultimate judge over eternal matters of salvation for sinners. But Jesus is not the judge over earthly matters like this. He is not to be the arbitrator, the one who decides in financial disputes to see who gets what and who gets how much. So, confronting his desires, Jesus continues to correct him and all the others around him as we move on to the next lesson. Not only our demands reveal our desires, our desires are tainted by our greed. The master teacher and Lord Jesus Christ knows the exact sinful desire in every single heart. And for this man, it was covetousness, like Jesus brings up. It was greed. Greed is this strong desire to get more and more and more. It's an unquenchable thirst and hunger for material possessions, to possess more things, whether or not it is needed. Whether we need it or not, even when we might not need it, we covet it, and we convince ourselves we need it, and we are consumed by our longing for it. This is the desire. This is the sinful desire of greed. And at this point, some of us might not be thinking, well, I never demanded for a great inheritance. I don't think I've that, you know, I don't think I'm greedy. And we might not think of ourselves to be um, tempted by covetousness, struggling with covetousness. But the advertisements in our world seem to know that we are. Advertisements never say, buy this product only if you really need it. If you don't need it, it's okay. You don't need to buy from us. No, every advertisement always says, hey, you didn't know you need this, but I'm telling you, you really need it. Everyone has it. Look, see what it does for them, and you need more of it. So buy and buy and buy more. We are flooded with such promotions and publications, advertisements to obtain more and more for ourselves. Children want more and more toys. Adults, we want more and more toys too. Just more expensive toys, just more luxurious toys, just more sophisticated toys, just more powerful toys. And the world knows it. And so the world keeps selling and selling. And we keep buying, not out of need, but because of our desire, our, our greedy desire, our coveting desire for more. The world knows, if the world knows how greedy we are, it's clear how much more Jesus knows. He sees this man's heart. And he knows that many people might not be worried if they are struggling with greed or not. So look at Jesus' warning. Jesus doesn't just say in verse 15, oh, by the way, there's this little thing called greed and you probably don't have it, but just letting you know. Okay, watch out for it. No, he's saying clearly, directly to them. Verse 15, he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Take care, meaning be careful. Watch out all the time. Pay close attention to covetousness. Not only that, he says, be on your guard. Actively defending against this enemy of greed, this enemy of covetousness. Guarding what is guarding and protecting what is so weak, so what is so fragile, which is our hearts. Our hearts that are tainted by, deceived by, the powerful, effective drug of greed. Jesus warns us to stand against all covetousness, or else it will take over the desires of our hearts 
and it will lure us deeper and deeper in sin and rebellion against God. Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden? The, servant, the evil serpent, knowing the potential for the human heart to be tempted by greed, the serpent eat, simply advertised the forbidden fruit as something Adam and Eve really needed. In reality, they had every fruit of every tree in the garden, living in perfect relationship with God. What else did they need? But because of this advertisement, they now craved one fruit from one tree that God commanded them not to take. And we know the rest of the story. They were lured by, the, by their greed for more, going against God. They concluded, they decided for themselves that the tree was actually good for food. They decided for themselves it was a delight to their eyes. And they decided and concluded for themselves that this fruit should be desired. It should be desired because it was going to make them wise. They were greedy. They coveted. And it brought sin and death to us all. Now all our desires, all of us in our sinful hearts, are tainted with greed. And it is, it's the reason why God includes it as the 10th commandment. God teaches us in His law what coveting is and how dangerous greed is. It's been in His Word over and over again. And so when we even just look at the entire Ten Commandments, God's law, it says, you shall not covet. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house. You should not desire his field or his servants or his animals. You shall not desire anything that is your neighbor's. And in God's wisdom, it seems that the last commandment is about coveting and greed because it's what leads us to other sins that God warns us about. Greed is what leads to stealing when someone covets other people's stuff. Greed is what leads to adultery when one covets another man's wife. Greed is what leads to idolatry because we put our possessions that we have above God. We put our possessions that we have, we put it before God. Greed kills contentment and gratitude and trust in God because we love the gifts more than the giver. It takes our worship that belongs to God when we should have great desire and great delight for Him, but instead our desires and our delights are set upon lesser, temporary things like money, toys, possessions. All things that we cannot take with us when we go. Greed is sin and it is greatly offensive to God. Whatever we have set our eyes on, Whatever we have come to conclude that it would be good if we had it, it would be a delight if we had it, concluding that we might even need it more than we need God, we are on the edge of committing sin as our desires take over, are taken over by greed. That's why Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus says life is not just about gathering more and more and more. The purpose of life is not just gathering abundance for yourself. The purpose of life, the significance of life, the essence of life is not found in the abundance. 
And so we should not be too quick to think that we don't struggle with greed just because we haven't stolen or because we haven't cheated. Our desires, we must see that our desires are tainted by greed in our sinful hearts and the desires of our flesh. And it's simply found in the perspective that we think more is better. In this way, greed is a deceptive drug. If we fall into its snare, we become convinced to live our lives in a never-ending pursuit of never enough. Whatever we have, it's never enough. And if we love money and possessions more than God, we will realize soon enough that money and possessions cannot satisfy our growing greed. So so in order for Jesus, uh, as he continues to convince us, if we are not yet convinced, Jesus continues his warning, following up with a parable. And we'll see the next lesson is this, that our greed makes us live as if there is no God. A parable is a story or a saying that illustrates a spiritual truth. It uses comparison, exaggeration, symbolism, and Jesus uses parables often to bring people, using familiar things of life, to move them into the unfamiliar things, which are the truths of God. And so the content of parables are always easy to grasp. It's always easy to understand what is happening in the events of the parable. But understanding the meaning of the parable and how to apply it to our lives properly actually requires careful study and effort to live it out. Or else parables can be easily misunderstood and misinterpreted. And so you might have thought as this parable unfolds, we might have thought, well, what's actually wrong with what Jesus is saying? What's wrong with being rich? What's wrong with a profitable business? Do you want businesses to go bankrupt? What's wrong with a business being savvy, increase, a businessman being savvy and, and increasing his storage? It doesn't seem like there's anything wrong in those details, and that's true. There's nothing wrong in those details in this parable. God can use profitable businesses for his glory. So please do not... Um, Please be clear about that. Jesus is not saying that it is evil to be rich. He's not saying that it is evil when your land or your business is productive and profitable. It's not evil when your investments grow in value. Instead, Jesus is driving home the warning he made in verse 15. And now he points out in his parable how how greed is evil and how we might not even notice it. Because greed convinces people to do things that often look very reasonable and very logical. That's the deception. That's the danger of greed. So let's look again to this parable. The parable actually starts with an inheritance. It's not from the parents when parents pass away and they give it to their children. But there is an inheritance from God who is the provider of all things. Jesus starts the parable, verse 16. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. The focus is here on this land. And it produced plentifully, written in passive voice. It happened that the land of the rich man, Jesus emphasizes, uh, it happened to be his land, but Jesus emphasizes that the wealth and the profit he receives is an inheritance. It's given by God. It's nothing out of what what he has done. It happened this way because God decided it to be this way. God is the one who provided plentifully for this man, 
Who else provides just the right amount of sun to shine so that it doesn't dry out his crops? Who provides the right amount of rain to nourish the plants? Who created and maintained the land so that crops can receive its nutrients and grow and multiply? Who keeps the crops safe from disease and pests? It's all God. God is the one who made the return of the crops so abundant, the rich man didn't even know what to do with it. He wasn't even expecting his efforts will lead to this abundance. It was all God. But there's not a single piece of evidence in this parable that this rich man thought once about God. No recognition of God at all. And we see that our greed makes us think that we are the center of our lives. It fools us to thinking that my life is about me, myself, and I. Jesus highlights this in verses 17 and 18. In the parable, this man says this, And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. The man thought to himself. He talked to himself. He counseled himself, convinced himself, made plans for himself, encouraged himself. It was all about himself. And the more that he talks, the more that we realize his solution to big, bigger barns is not just a matter of increasing his business. It's not just a reasonable, logical thing to do to increase storage and increase sales. But building bigger barns was just about himself. And that's the evil here. How greed feeds on selfishness. And how greed, when it's satisfied, makes us more and more stuck and stubborn in our self-centeredness. Thinking that we, not God, that we are the center of our lives. The man finally says to himself in verse 19, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink. Be This was the man's greatest treasure. It was not God. It was pleasure. And his greed fully took over and he lived as if there was no God. He treasured relaxing. He treasured eating. He treasured drinking as his ultimate pleasure, as his ultimate goal in his life. If God was his great, greatest treasure, he would have come to a different conclusion entirely. He would have said, thank you, God. You are the one who provided me with an abundance that I did not deserve. I didn't even plan for so help me to use what you have given me to show the world you are my greatest treasure. Teach me to use my possessions for your glory and for your kingdom. There is none of that here. But for all of us, we were created by God and we were created for His glory. And God, in His grace, He provides us with all that we need to live out this holy purpose, to make God known. He gives us not so that we fall in love with the gifts and we are become consumed with the gifts, but He gives so that we will use it to reveal God's love and His grace to undeserving, greedy sinners like us. Unfortunately, this is not how the parable ends. 
Not only did the man's greed make him think he was the center of the universe, he was completely convinced that he was in control over the outcome of his life. He didn't even expect his crops to come in abundance. Now suddenly he thinks he will live a long and merry, a joyful life in merriment, in physical pleasures. He thought his abundance was all for him. Perhaps even convinced, maybe, maybe it did come because I'm so smart, because I'm so gifted, because I'm so good at farming and storing and whatever. He was fooled by his greed, even thinking that he can extend his life and keep death away just because he had more barns to keep his stuff. The fool, we know from Scripture, says in his heart, in the depth of his desires, the fool says, there is no God. And so for this man, and for any one of us hearing this parable today, we must be aware of the danger, how foolish greed makes us to be. Especially for those of us who claim to be God's people, who claim to be believers and disciples of Jesus, we must see this danger that if we satisfy our greed, no matter how much we call it being financially reasonable or economically logical, the danger is we can become like this man Practical, functional atheists. Only thinking about ourselves, not caring about God's desires, not considering God's will, not meditating on God's instructions, not even giving a moment of thought, saying, God, you have given me in your generosity, in your grace, thank you. That's the danger. So we see here clearly the evil of the prosperity gospel that is so commonly preached today. The prosperity gospel is a false gospel. It claims that if you believe in God, God will give you an abundance of earthly wealth. And that's it. It clearly presents the ultimate end, not as God, but as the, earth, as the earthly wealth that we want. The prosperity gospel, it's only greed, packaged in a wrapper of worship. And so for this man, he's living the life God has given him. He's using the resources and the abundance God has given him as if there is no God, which is foolishness. And this is what Jesus ends, upon, ends with in his final lesson. That no matter how we live, this life and how we use our resources in this life, in the end, God will require us to give final account. He will require us to give final account for all that He has provided for us. The evil here is just stated in the conclusion that this man makes in response to the abundance of his possessions. He was rich, but was he really rich? What did he really actually have after tonight? He had nothing. It reminds me, just something that I read, this quote that just makes us to think, it says this, Some people are so poor that all they have is money. Some people are so poor that all they have is money. That describes this man. He had, doesn't talk about his family, doesn't talk about his friends, doesn't talk about God. He's just celebrating himself and his riches. He might have been rich, but he's actually so poor. And definitely so spiritually poor. 
And for that, he should be afraid. Because as he was celebrating his riches and his life for the years to come, his life would be required of him. Not next year, not even next month, not tomorrow, but tonight. And so this was the climax of his foolishness. Read verse 20. This man had all of his self-talk, talking about himself to himself. And God says, verse 20, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Again, the, it's not a matter of just logic and being investment savvy. Because a lot of us might answer this question, well, it'll go to my kids. I'll make, I'll make it, I'll make an inherit, I've made an inheritance, I've set it up. It won't go to me, it'll go to my kids. Again, that is not what Jesus is talking about. This man provided everything for himself. It was all about himself. And so, again, it's a rhetorical question. Whose do, do your possessions truly belong to? Are your possessions really your own possessions? And for believers of God, we must be able to answer this question. Whose will they be? The things that we have received from God are, have always been God's. The things that He has given to us, it has, that, that he, has, uh, he has provided for us to live with in this lifetime, it has always been God's. Our possessions are always God's provisions that He has given us by His grace and His mercy out of His love and out of His generosity. So when God says to this man, your soul is required of you, He is settling the accounts. He is collecting back the loan that He has given to this man. God is asking for His life and how He has used His life. Was it for greed or was it for God? Because From dust, God created us. And one day, God will command us to return back to dust. And so for this life that He has given us to live, we must answer to God. God owns all, and He gave us a portion of of life, of time and space on this earth to be faithful with and to manage it well. We must remember, we are not owners of our possessions but we must manage all that God has provided for us for His glory and for His purposes. When we see the, the danger of this warning, we know from Scripture that the covetous and the greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what God's Word says over and over again. If we in our covetousness, in our greed, if we continue to collect and gather for ourselves, for our earthly pleasure, it is clear that God is not our greatest treasure. And all will be taken away one day. And so, Jesus teaches this parable as an example of what not to be. Of of what not to do. Verse 21 says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. For any one of us who continues to lay up treasure for ourselves, no matter what we say outwardly, no matter how we claim to be living for God's glory and doing all for God's glory, how do we use and spend our money? How do we approach our possessions? If we're like this man, 
we will be just like him. To be that fool who laid up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Someone who just kept material things as so valuable that they protected it, that they treasured that. But rather, we must learn to be rich toward God. And that's a strange phrase, but it gives us a direction. It gives us a new direction in how we ought to live. No longer inwardly for ourselves and for our selfish desires or our greed, feeding our greed. But being rich toward God gives us a new direction for what we should truly value. Our desires, our delight pointed in the direction of God, not anything else. So being rich in, toward God is the opposite. It's the opposite direction of everything Jesus has brought up so far. So being rich toward God means the opposite of being greedy for more. It's the opposite of coveting for the abundance of possessions. Rather, it's desiring for more of God in our lives, to know Him and to make Him known. It's the opposite of being fooled that I am in the center of my life. It's the opposite of being fooled that I am in control of my life. Rather, being rich toward God is saying, no, God, you are at the center. You are in control. You have given me all, so I live for you. It's the opposite of making the ultimate pursuit of life to relax, eat, drink, and be merry for as many years as possible on this earth. Because we know there's a time when God will settle his accounts with us. He will require of us to give an account for his provisions. And so life is not just about being comfortable and be having the greatest maximum pleasure now. But we find merriment, we find true joy in, making God, in knowing God and making him known. It's the opposite of taking God's provisions and being discontent and ungrateful. Rather, it's saying, whatever you have given me, God, this is my daily bread. And so I trust you. No matter how little I think it is, I trust you. No matter how much you have given me, I trust you and I will use it for you and for your purposes. It's simply the opposite of laying, storing up earthly treasures for ourselves and that we desire God as our greatest treasure. It means that everything we have, everything we own, everything we spend, and how we spend points toward God to points, and points others to Him that He is our greatest treasure. And the only way we know our greatest treasure is by knowing and understanding the Gospel. Knowing that God is not just demanding from us something that we do not have, but God, how he first gave us in his generosity, in his grace to ungrateful, undeserving, greedy sinners like us. He makes the offer for us eternal life through the forgiveness of sins. He did that by sending Jesus Christ to die for undeserving sinners. And even in Jesus' own example, though he was rich, he, in, in all of heaven's glory, he came to be born like one of us. He became poor so that by his poverty, we might become rich. Now, if we think that means that earthly and, and by possessions, we're missing the gospel entirely. God gave, sent his son, he, Jesus Christ, and he gave up his life. He bled on the cross. He suffered in our place, not for temporary earthly treasures, but for the eternal reward of heaven, of eternal life with him. 
And so if you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ yet personally, if you have not made that decision, I pray and hope you see the worthlessness of earthly treasures and you see the beauty and the worth and the value of knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior who offers to you generously the reward of heaven. And so for those of us who do believe, let's look again to Jesus' desires and how he teaches us to do the same, to live according to the Father's will in, perfect, in love and in obedience, to fight against, guard our hearts against greed and fight against the enemy of covetousness in our hearts and pursue God to be our greatest treasure, our greatest desire. Remember that Jesus came to give us an abundance, not of things, but an abundance of true life in him. It's found in God's generous love. He pours out his grace and mercy to you. And so with this gospel, with faith in this truth, let's learn to make earthly investments knowing that we cannot take it with us. Let's, with greater satisfaction and purpose, make eternal investments by giving of ourselves giving our time, our treasures, and our talents for the salvation of people. For that's what they truly need. They need to know this message of forgiveness of the gospel. To give of ourselves to work in God's kingdom. Release, letting go of our kingdoms of pleasure and comfort and saying, God, your will be done and doing whatever it takes to spread the gospel throughout our lives, our city, and this world until Jesus returns. And that day when Jesus returns again to settle the accounts. May we not hear the words, fool, what did you do with all that I have given you? But rather to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I have given you much and you have been faithful to do my will and carry out my desires. So may for us, as we take this warning to heart, may we never find ourselves saying, soul, you have enough goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, marry, and die. But rather, may we say, I will love you, Lord, with all my soul, with all my heart, with all my strength, and I will show my love for you and how I approach my possessions, how I use my wealth, because all my possessions are your provisions that you have given to me. So as we close, how can we guard against all greed? Just a few ways for us to consider applying God's word into our life this week. First, check your deepest desires. What do you find yourself asking God for recently? Perhaps even demanding of God. Are your desires rooted in being the center of your life? Do your desires show that you want to be in control of your life? Check your deepest desires, and may it be for God, and our so that our desire for God directs all other desires. As we find any greed and covetousness, two, confess all covetousness before the Lord. If you have fallen into the deception, into the snare of more is better, and just wanting more, and thinking life will be better if you had more, if you had abundance, confess if you have come across in abundance, if you have come across more than what you expected and you have ended up using that for yourself, 
Repent and confess of all covetousness. If you have found yourself not being content or grateful for what God has given you, thinking it's not enough, confess of all covetousness. Three, cherish Christ's generosity toward you. Knowing that Jesus knows we come before him tainted with greed, tainted with covetousness. But remember again how generous God has been, pouring out his love, pouring out his grace, pouring out his mercy each and every single day in the gospel. And so as you remember what Christ has done, as he has come to become poor, that in his poverty we might be spiritually rich to receive the reward of heaven. Cherish his generosity toward you. Trust to be content and grateful in all that he provides. And lastly, four, consider ways to use your God-given provisions for his kingdom purposes. As we make God our greatest treasure, realizing that God is the one who has given us all that we have, that our possessions are his provisions for us. I hope that people around us can see that we, our delight is in the Lord, in how we use our money, in how we use our possessions. Do you generously use what God has given to you for his will, for his purposes, for his pleasure, and for his glory? And may we ask one another for wisdom not to just always, by default, go for bigger barns out of greed, but to be a greater blessing to those who are in need around us. Who can you bless with your possessions? How can you give toward ministries that are, that are trying to faithfully make disciples and evangelize the lost? Consider these things. All because, not out of obligation, not out of force, not out of just a show, a wrapper of worship, but out of a genuine desire, a genuine deep desire and a delight in God that will use all that we have for His glory and for His purposes. May we be merry, not just in our possessions, but merry because we are being used by the Lord to carry out His purposes for His glory on this earth. So once again, the one thing, Guard your heart against all greed and let God be your greatest treasure. If you're able, let's all stand together as we close. Let's take a moment, a personal moment now, to respond to God's Word. I pray... Uh, so let's just think about the truths that we see here in His Word. And, and let's just start by, with the life application, the first one. Let's check our deepest desires. What is it that we, that we so desire that we would even demand of God? Is it for more of Him? Or is it for more of things? And as we are convicted by the Holy Spirit of our sin, let's confess. Let's confess, God, I, I thought I wasn't greedy. I thought I'd have to worry about struggling with covetousness. But here I am, thinking more is better. Here I am, thinking what I have is not enough. Here I am, using what you have given me just for myself. So let's consider and confess. But let's also remember the gospel. Just how rich God's grace is that he would send his son to die for us. 
Let's consider how generous He is, showering His love over us. And with that, may we be, may we be led to consider, okay, now God, what shall I do? Asking God for the wisdom and how we ought to spend our abundance, use our possessions for God's glory. So any one of those ways that you feel uh, the Holy Spirit leading you to respond to God's word, I encourage you to do so. And I'll give us a few moments before we continue in our response together with songs and prayer together. Let's pray.